With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts this is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. It's boxing. A look inside boxing with Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Interviews, analysis, and everything going on in boxing. And now a man who I wish was called the Boston Bleeder. All doctors to the ER. It's sort of like getting punched in the face. Chris, Chris Mannix. All right, joining me now is someone I've been looking forward to doing a podcast with for a very long time. He is a five-division world champion. He is one of the most financially successful fighters in boxing history. He's a tremendous fighter, broadcaster, person, a guy I've really enjoyed getting to know over the last few years, the great Sugar Ray Leonard. Ray, how are you? Uh, Chris, I tell you, it's good seeing you, man. I haven't seen you in quite some time, and with this new, what, coronavirus is so I tell you it's like a movie it's like a it's like a it seems so surreal mm. no it it's surreal all around man it's it's like a new experience for everybody though I I should point out I mean you are quarantined in like a city which is what your house looks like I mean your house is basically a city so my sympathy only runs so deep Ray I gotta tell you thanks man <laughs> Um, you know, what's funny, Ray, like a byproduct of, of being quarantined. I think I, it, I'm the same as a lot of people is that you get to watch, you, you start watching a lot more old fights. I mean, we've seen ESPN has run a lot of old fights on the network. Uh, I've found myself on YouTube for, you know, hours on end, just watching old boxing matches and a lot of, of your uh, old fights as well. Have you found that, I don't know if whether it's through social media or people talking to you, have you found, found that people are, are watching more old boxing nowadays? I would say yes. I, 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 you know, it's just the fact that we have so much time. You know, there's such, that's when I, I truly appreciate, Chris, I appreciate what we have, where we are, our health and everything else, because now it's like I, I'm going crazy. I'm a, I calm down a little bit. 
but I'm going, I was going crazy because I was stationary, but watching the old fights, like you said, has been quite helpful. Yeah, it's certainly fun. And, and people that didn't know how incredible boxing was back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, they're getting a real glimpse at just how mainstream it was. So if people are listening and they're like, I would love to see the very best of Sugar Ray Leonard, what fight would you tell them to watch that you felt you were at your best in? I would say um, Tommy Hearns, number one, back in 81. And and also Marvelous Marvin Hagler back in 87. Um, because each of those fights required the 100% out of me. It was like one of those fights where is that Muhammad Ali, who I love and was my mentor and my idol, he told me one day, he said, you know what, when I fought Joe Frazier, that was the closest thing to death. And I, I quite didn't understand it, but when I reviewed the fights with the Hagler or Tommy Hearns or Roberto Duran, number one, I was there. I understood what he was saying. Yeah, Hag uh, Hearns, I should say, that was 1982. And I mean, that was like, I mean, you're, that was a six foot two welterweight. I mean, that was, I mean, you don't see too many guys that are that height and are able to make 147 pounds. What do you remember about going into that fight? Like, did, did you have to come up with a completely new strategy to fight a guy that had that kind of height and reach advantage on you? Well, I knew I had to be aggressive. I knew I had to take the fight to him. I was thinking, and uh, it was, I watched tapes of his fights, previous fights over and over and over again. So I choreographed the fight in my head. And uh, I remember, Chris, I, I may have not told you this, but when I first walked to the ring that night, I was walking around and saying, all right, I'm fighting Tommy Hearns now. Now who in this audience, this crowd of people, would be the perfect style for Tommy Hearns? I walked around, didn't see anybody, didn't see anybody, and I saw Muhammad Ali. And if you go back and watch the fight, the first round, I was like Muhammad Ali, moving around, slipping. Tommy couldn't really land a big punch on me until when the bell rang. I punched. I said, I got you, sucker. And he was so mad, I said, I got to make him lose his composure. That was what was taking place. Did he, I mean, he was known at that time. I mean, his biggest... His biggest power punching days were as a welterweight. That was when he had his heaviest hands. Did you, when he hit you for the first time, what was your reaction to it? You know, my brother, my biggest, my older brother Roger, who who got me into boxing, he he didn't think I could win. <laughs> I paid him. Um, but when Tommy finally hit me with the, one of his shots, the right hand, and I said, "Is that it?" Because they, they, they do say styles make fights, and it's true. Certain guys can take certain punches from certain other fighters. Tommy hit me. Tommy never hurt me in that fight. The second fight, he, yeah, he almost destroyed me. But he hit me, and I hit him, and I rocked him. I say, I hit just as hard as he does. Mm. When, um, you know, people look back on your career, and it, it's funny, you there almost never was a Sugar Ray Leonard pro boxing career. I mean, 1976, you said after you won that gold medal, that you were done. You you had accomplished what you set out to accomplish. When you said that in Montreal at the time, how serious were you, and why were why did you feel like you didn't want to go pro? I was ninety nine percent serious, and I nearly cried standing up there, having the gold medal draped around my neck, 
And I was like, because I said, oh my God, this is it. Now it's over now. And there was a little part of me saying, no, no, just wait till you get home. But I, I only turned pro to help my father and my, well, my parents uh, for financial needs because, you know, we came up pretty humble. And uh, I turned pro because my dad went into a coma. Um, we had nothing, had no money. So I, I turned pro just for that reason. But when I did it, it was like I found boxing again. Boxing found me and we found each other. If your father had been, at that time been healthy and financially secure, what would you? What would Ray Leonard have become? You know, you know, Chris. I'm glad you asked that question because people laugh when I give the answer. Because I want to be a, a substitute teacher. Don't ask me why, <laughs> but because I the substitute teachers I've had throughout the uh, my school years uh, were always sweet, always nice, and always hospitable, and give me and help me out. Um, God, I wanted to be, I tell you, that's what I wanted to be, a substitute teacher. I could, I can just see you in the, in the tie and the short sleeve shirt, maybe a little belly on your ray, a couple no, no of uh, extra no, meals. No belly. No, no, take that back. Take that back. <laughs> belly. No belly. So, so you, you do get, you just said it there that when, once you got back into boxing, you kind of rediscovered your love for it. What, tell me about that. What, what got you, what re-sparked that fire? You know, I love boxing. I still do uh, because what it creates for me, uh, a sense of self, and not just because of beating people up, but just it gave me confidence to walk with my chin up. Uh, I love, Chris, the transformation of when I was in training camp that I was training, training for like, I don't know, two, three months, and I'm training. All of a sudden, you know, within a month, I'm, my body changes, my mind changes. I mean, I'm like... It's, it's just an amazing feeling. It's hard to articulate, to try to make you, make you, give you a better chance to understand what I'm trying to say, but it just, it created something in me. Mm. And you said along the line, I read a couple of clips where you said boxing was your safe haven. No matter what was going on in your life, you could just always control what happened in boxing. I could always, I said that because I always could control for the most part what was taking place in that ring. I dominated that ring for the most part. Outside the ring, I felt low self-esteem. I mean, as much as I had accomplished, uh, I felt I wasn't up to par. And this, 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 helped, this bothered me for many, many years. And it took me into the drug scene, turned me out to the alcohol scene. And I used those things. I didn't drink to uh, sip a drink or be sociable. I drank to get drunk. And I did drugs to to cushion out life. Uh, I'm a lucky man. I'm a blessed man, no question about it, because I've done this for 50 years, man. Mm. When did, you know, all those things that you were going through, when did you feel like you turned a corner? When did things get better? I married my wife, Bernadette. Um, I have incredible kids, although I wasn't the best father because, you know, I was... I wasn't training all the time. I was traveling around the world all the time, and. I was busy all the time. I, 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 I uh, but you know what? I'm, I'm, there's still room for improvement. There's room for improvement. Yeah, with all of us for sure. The, um, the, the most people that know you associate you with Duran. And, and as I was preparing to talk to you, I went back and watched the Thirty for Thirty, which was excellent with you and and Roberto Duran. And you know, I, I want to go back just for a minute to 
you know, 1980, you were coming off that win over Benitez. You had been a world champion, and, you know, you were out there looking for that kind of, I'm assuming that kind of star-making type of fight, that big fight. What was it about Duran that that made you run towards that fight? At the time, he was, you know, the fighter of the 70s to some people. Like, he was this terror, uh, hands of stone, all that. What was it about that fight that appealed to you? You know, Chris, I, I well, I knew Duran was bigger than life. I mean, Duran was a much boxing champions. I, oh, wow. Probably, you know, when I was coming up, I was watching him because he was just an amazing guy. He was a beast. And I had no say in who I'm fighting next. They'll say, Ray, you know, Duran's there. I said, yeah, 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 yeah. But I also felt that because I was bigger, I was welterweight, 147, and he was, a, what, lightweight, 135, that I could, he, he wasn't, he wouldn't be a contest. Because I've never been hurt so much in my career. Duran, they call him Monoste Piedras, hands of stone. And I felt like his rocks, his, his fist felt like rocks. I remember him so well. I can, right now, I can go back in time and smell his breath during that first fight. He was a beast. Did you, I mean, in the buildup to that fight, I mean, he was nasty. Like, he would look at you with disdain in his eyes. What do you remember about the buildup to it? Well, it, it, you're right. The disdain. I mean, he looked at me like I, I mean, I, I was like scum. I mean, he and I and again throughout our boxing career, I, I say, "Hey, how you doing, man?" We hug each other. The minute we signed that contract, he, you son of a bitch, <laughs> you know. And <laughs> he just they, there were certain resentments, and I understand some from some fighters because they called me like I was a corporate boxer that I had a I was a white collar boxer that I was trying to speak whites. That I whatever that meant, that I I wasn't uh, I didn't come up the hard way. I did come up the hard way. I just won the Olympics, which was a platform. Did you take that stuff personally? The things that Duran yes. might have said. Yes, I did. I did. I took it to heart, uh, which I learned not to do at some point later on down my in my career. I learned that that was about the mind, the body. What are some, I mean, what are some of the things he said that got to you? Was it just like the whole, you know, white collar boxer, not a real fighter? I mean, what kind of stuff? He gave me the finger. He, he said, you might have gone. Uh, I'm still working on what that means, but I know it's bad. Uh, he cursed me. Then he cursed my wife. And because I couldn't communicate, I couldn't speak uh, Spanish. I was so angry. I was so, so angry, Chris, that I, I, I said, you know what, I'm going to beat this son of a bitch at his own game. So it stuck in my head to fight him toe-to-toe, which was not this, the healthiest thing to do. Yeah, in, in a way then, he, he almost won the mental battle before, right? Because you, you did. You, those first couple of rounds, you were far more flat-footed than we've ever seen. You, you were trying to trade with him, which is you know, the way he wanted that fight to go, right? He... he he picked me right. He, he said the right things at the right time. And it got to me. He got under my skin. And again, I, I didn't know any other way to communicate to him but beat him at his own game, toe-to-toe. And I tell you, he hit me so hard so many times in so many other places that I looked at him and I said, you know what? This is it. I, I contemplated in the ring my last fight. 
I really thought about, that's how much pain and punching power this guy had. He was a perpetual, again, perpetual motion. How would you describe that power? Because some guys have that kind of speed power. Other guys have just those, that concussive right hand. Hurt power. Hurt power. When he hit me, it hurt. He was the only guy, and I fought a lot. Now, you know, I fought a lot of guys. He was the only guy that really, when he hit me to the body, I was like, well, okay, man, okay. Because he was just, he punched with such conviction. He punched with, with hatred in his, in his heart and his mind. And he and once he gets you hurt, he'll take you out of there. Mm. What was your what, I, I, what is ahead. your corner telling you in those moments? Like your corner's got to be seeing you fighting a way that you hadn't fought before. Were you guys on the same page going into that fight? You know we were because again the the fight plan was to to box him. I mean I had the, I had the speed, I had the reach, the height, I had everything. Uh, I just didn't use I didn't use it. And so when I got back to the corner, they were they were more concerned. Was I okay? Uh, and I actually I blocked it out, Chris. I blocked it out. Whatever they said to me, I didn't hear a damn thing. All I heard was to myself, "I got to get them back. The next round, maybe the next round, maybe the next round." Mm. What was it that something triggered in you at some point in those later rounds where you went from it looked like he was in control and then you get to like 11 on and you just flipped a switch of some kind was there was there a conscious moment there for you where you said all right this is i've got to you know i've got a flurry now i've got to i've got to find a way to beat this guy i knew and fighters know we know when we're losing i mean it's not it's not it's not it's not hard Cause you feel it, you know, you, you know, you're being taken, you know, you know, the guy, the guy's landing more punches than you, the combinations than you. I knew that I, I knew, I didn't say I was, I was, I knew it was close. Put it that way. I'd say the fight is close because I will flourish sometimes. But I, again, he's one of the few guys besides Wilfred Benitez that I missed so many punches. I threw so many punches that I actually almost punched myself out, but I had so much heart. And I wanted not. I didn't want to lose my 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 championship belt. That I fought him so hard, like in the closing round, thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen. Mm. You know, you you see a lot of trash talk, Ray. When you know, in the build up to fights, oftentimes after fights, you know, guys are real friendly. They shake hands, they hug, they embrace, respect. As you know, you're out respect. there risking your life. Not so much with Duran after that first fight. Like he was oh, still yelling no. at you from across the ring. He's screaming at you even after he won the decision. I know. No, he he. I don't think he liked me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit, but not a lot. But you're right. He was again. Again, he was so. That was like brutality, man. He was resentment. He, yeah. You seemed almost surprised by it. Like watching the, the video of the fight, you almost seemed surprised that he was still saying nasty things to you after the fight was yes, over. That's a good question. I'm glad you asked that question because I didn't understand. I was saying, well, damn, he's taking this thing further. I mean, he, it's like it's personal. This, this stuff is personal. I remember that. I swear I remember it so well because he was yelling and, and cursing me and and the motions and the hand gestures and things. Yeah, I said, damn, this guy has a problem. Mm -hmm. So you finish a fight like that, a war, you you go on vacation, and at what point do you decide, I got to do this again, and what brought you there? I took my wife after the fight uh, to Hawaii just to get away from everything and everybody. 
and that and that image of me of Duran raising his hands as the new champ, I went away. I want to take my wife away because she fainted. Actually, she fainted at ringside. Hell, I almost fainted. Uh, but I was. I remember on the beach running, and some of the fans said, "Hey, Sugar, hey man, you could have won that fight if you boxed if you fought your own fight." And I heard this every every day. So I called my my trainer who was my business partner, my friend, my lawyer. He said, I want to fight Duran as soon as possible. He said, Ray, I thought you were on vacation. I said, I am. He said, well, son, he said, enjoy your vacation. And we talked. I said, no, I'm coming home tomorrow. And I, that's exactly what happened because I want to fight Duran as soon as possible. Because I, I, I had something in my heart and in my mind that says do it now. Because I also knew Duran's style that he hung out. I mean, I hung out too. And, but he had tough times making weight. He gained so much weight prior to each fight. Mm. So, yeah, it, talk to me about that because t- taking a fight like that, taking a rematch so quickly, you never see that nowadays. Like nowadays, mm. there's at least one interim fight, if not two, as we right. saw like with Fury and Wilder at the top of the heavyweight division. Was, it, was taking the rematch... Was it as much about him and trying to take advantage of his lifestyle and his, you know, likelihood that he's going to blow up as it was you wanting it? It was both. It was both of those things. It was a fact that I knew that he hung out and, and partied quite a bit, like I did. Um, but he gained so much weight. And I said, Let's, I want to, as soon as possible, ASAP. Because I, 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 if I gain weight, I gain maybe five pounds, maybe five pounds. and. Um, also, my entourage was at one time during that fight, the first fight was like 40 people in my, in my camp. Uh, they were bothering me because they were, they said, Ray, can I use the car? Can I do this? Can I, I said, guys, I'm here. I'm here. To, I'm in a training camp. I'm here to fight Duran. And uh, I, when I stopped that or cut that in half, the fight was much, much better. What was the biggest your entourage ever got? It was 40, 40 people. 40 people, yeah. What were they all doing? I don't, there are a couple of guys, like guys like Juice or JD and my brothers, Kenny and Roger. Uh, and my, naturally, my trainers, they all was focused. I call it tunnel vision. They were all focused with tunnel vision. The other guys were just hanging out, just hanging out, going to parties, needing uh, transportation. I'm out, what the hell am I talking Thinking about transportation. <laughs> all, all thinking they're on the payroll? <laughs> they were. Got a little pro down. On the payroll. It's a nice life. You can get it working on, uh, on race payroll. <laughs> when when you started going to, you know, in, in the fight week stuff, when you had press conferences, um, did you notice anything different in Duran? Well, because this time I stay stone-faced but controlled not anger. Uh, I just, I look professional. I was extremely confident. And you know, though each press conference, um, they were getting better and better because I felt more relaxed and more relaxed. And then I started controlling the, the atmosphere. It, one thing that took place in that ring that night of the second fight, Ray Charles, my namesake, sang America the Beautiful. And if you go back and watch it, my face just, I lit up. And that was the first time I met Ray Charles, who I'm named after. 
the first time of all the places in the world in the one of the most critical and most important fights of my life. Oh, I was ready. I was ready, Chris. Yeah, and I, I remember seeing that visual and you, you know, you were concentrating as all fighters do in that moment, but then you just broke your entire character yeah. and then went right over to Ray and, and hugged him. <laughs> a yeah. big smile on your face. And I said, hey, I, he hugged me, he gave me a little kiss and says, kick his ass. I said, yes, I will. <laughs> <laughs> you had some you were playing some mental games with Duran before then too. There was the whole beard stuff. I mean, you would roll into press conferences, you know, with a full beard on for that fight. It was fake. It was a fake beard, but it <laughs> yeah. it, it got under the skin a little bit. It made him it just made him mad or just he laughed. I don't know. Uh I tried I, you know what? I tried everything to kind of get an edge. And it was the beard thing. I felt I felt extremely serious. I mean, stupid of the with the beard. I mean, because that's not me. But I, I did it. I I try to get every edge. I just try to get a little bit edge here, a little bit there, and it adds up. And, and you came out, Ray. I mean, that was a different version of the guy we saw in the first fight. You were bouncing. You were moving. You looked like the guy we'd seen up until that first fight. Absolutely. That's. With the first fight, I walked in there and I, I was like, I did, I did something like this with my hands. I, you're like, okay. But the second fight, I was so focused, ready, a little, a little loose because I was smiling, but got serious again. I was ready. That I was so ready for that fight. And during the during the early rounds, when things were, I was, he couldn't touch me. And then I did something like this, did this and I did this. All those things were were not planned. Though they, they happened so extemporaneously, they happened so instantly, uh, and then people were laughing, and I heard them laughing. And the, and the more I did, the louder it got. And then I I looked at his face, and he was like, he was puzzled. He didn't know what the hell was going on, and it bothered him. It really, really bothered him. And I kept doing it. Could you notice? I mean, you're in there with him. You'd felt everything he had for 15 rounds the first time when you started exchanging with him, was he different, you know, than the first fight? He was different. Yeah. You know, you'll notice me. I was never really a stationary target, even against the ropes or even in the corner. If I'm there, I'll be there after a couple of punches and, and I'll slip out. I'll go left or right. I use my footwork. Yeah, and it was incredibly effective all throughout. And, you know, it's funny, Ray, the, you could just say, if you say the words to anybody that's been a sports fan ever on the street, the words no mas, yes. everybody knows what that means. Like everybody, even if you're not a boxing fan, you connect it to that fight and that moment. And that's been, it's been talked about and, and dug into so much over the years, uh, including in that great documentary. But can you just tell me, in that moment, what did you see? What did you hear? How did you experience that like 10 second stretch where he, he just gave up? When it just happened so like quick, it was such, cause I stuck my chin out and I did that. I did bolo punch pop. And when he did this, I didn't hear him say, and all due respect to Roberto, I never heard him say no mas, but I feel this is you no know, what that means. What, they, what does that indicate? 
he never said again. He never said no mas to me. But he 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 told the referee, no more, no more. You know, you said that going back to the last fight, you said that fighters know when they're behind. I would imagine that fighters also know when they're hurting their opponent, when they're they're getting to him. Did you yes. feel like going into that eighth round that 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 something like that was even possible that you were beating him down in that way? No, that was so bizarre because I mean, of all people, Roberto Duran. I never even that never even came up in my mind. It was my brother Roger who yelled, "Ray, he's quitting! He's quitting! He's quitting!" But um, no, I never thought that would happen. That that's yeah, that's that's Disneyland. <laughs> the um, you know, it 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 went from like a moment of complete joy for you to the aftermath. I mean, it must have been frustrating to hear every question be about Duran, where it's like, did he quit? Why did he quit? What was that like for you? Now, I'm, uh, that's another good question, Chris, because I, when they, that was the topic. That was like the, the topic of this press conference. And like, all we were talking about was why did Duran quit? Or how did he quit? Or so, not, I said, hey, hey, I did this. I made him quit. I made him quit. I was really upset. I got really, really mad because I wasn't given credit for what I did to this incredible uh, champion fighter in Roberto Duran. Uh, no matter how, what I do, but I wasn't given credit. It was an excuse that he claimed uh, was his stomach or his cramps or something like that. Oh, he's claimed a lot. But you know, Chris, I give, and I give, I love Roberto. We're friends now, and I give him all the respect in the world. And but he's, but what happened that particular night was from what I did. Mm. Yeah. How how long did that bother you? Because that was the story, not just the night of the fight, but in the days and weeks that followed, magazine stories. It was all no mas. It was all about that, and not Sugar Ray Leonard wins his title back. You know, back on top at welterweight. It, it for years, for years, and uh, I mean, I remember that that moment. I mean, in as much as I I was happy that I won the fight, I won my title back. It was it, it was disturbing to me that it wasn't because of what I did. It was him. He was the he was a topic. He was like Roberto Duran, mysteriously or bizarre, quit. No must. I mean, it just, it did bother me. It was funny watching the the end of that 30 for 30. It's, I think Duran asked you something like, you know, why didn't I get the third fight right away? And you were basically like, because I didn't want to give it to you. Because I, I, <laughs> I can do whatever I want. And I didn't want to give it to you. No, I was being a jerk. I was being a little sarcastic, narcissistic. Uh, but it was true. Um, <laughs> I, I was in a good position that I could, Kind of call the shots. Was was that brought to you at any point in like the the months that followed? Like, let's do this a third time. No, it was talked about, um, but our concern was that people say well, they set that up. They set that up, and it was. I've heard some people say, "Yeah, that, that was a that fight was that was rigged," and that hurts my heart when someone say it's fake. It's not real. Mm. That was really real. Oh, I mean, people are stupid, Ray. I mean, first, like, we're now in, like, currently, we're hearing how Canelo didn't really knock out Kovalev when he blasted him in the face and, you know, put him down last November. People just, conspiracy theories run amok, you know, especially in boxing. Some of them, some of them are true. I mean, boxing's a shady business sometimes, as you know, 
better than anybody. But uh, now that was, I, you'd have to, it's a real stretch to think that fight was, was a fix. And you know what, going to, going to uh, Panama, I was, I was very apprehensive about going there because I, I, I said, these people, they're going to kill me. <laughs> but it was just the opposite. I got there and and uh, the fans were were there and they they, they they hugged me. We took pictures and everything. And I went to Roberto's. Uh, he had a, does Disney have a, a bar or something? He had a restaurant or something like that, I think. And I went there. It was just so weird. It was just it was so weird being there with Roberto Duran, who I used to hate. And uh, I despise. I mean, he was—he wasn't one of my friends until after our career ended. Yeah, that's crazy. A, time heals. Time heals all wounds. Uh, sometimes with uh, with things like that, where you forget about how nasty things were, you know, back in the day, and uh, and get into it. The, the after the Duran fight, I mean, you started to roll along. You beat Tommy Hearns. You were you're 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 on top of the welterweight division, and then 1982. You call it quits. I mean, you ha- you had the eye injury, um, right. but how much of it was the eye injury, and how much of it was you just didn't want to box anymore? No, I wanted to fight again. I, I um, you know, I, I, I cherish my my support for my fans and my family, and they all said, "Ray, you know, you have the money, you have the fame, you have this, you have that." Uh, but it was more than just that. I love to win. I like the competition. And it, it kept me off the streets, put it that way. Uh, it was hard. It was really hard, Chris. It was really, really hard saying no. But I said I want people to think of me as being kind of a, you know, somewhat of a rational guy, a smart guy who knew, who knew when to quit. And I proved that. <laughs> I mean, you, I mean le- leaving all that money on the table was that was that difficult? I mean, what was you know? What, I mean, you obviously had made a lot of money, and I'm sure you were as you you are yeah. still very good with your money. Um, but what I mean, you you had left behind some big fights, some big money. I mean, what was that part of it like? It, you know, I tell you, and it may sound kooky, but at a certain point in my career, after the, the Tommy Hearns fight. It wasn't about the money, although you know, it's a, from a business perspective, you want the best. But it, it that 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 didn't make me tick. That didn't make me train hard, you know. Um, I mean, that, because like now, it's all it's all it's all relative, you know. They're making well, back in the day when they was making money. Ali was making like five million dollars, I think it was, or two and a half, five million dollars. And then I came along, I was making ten or whatever, and then. Tyson and Oscar De La Hoya, uh, Mayweather. I mean, just the time at time. I mean, it's it's, a, it's another it's another generation, another legacy. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my! Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So what happens between 82 and 84 when you decide to come back against Kevin Howard? I mean, Howard was, you know, at least uh, Howard was supposed to just kind of be the, the build up to Hagler, right? It was like, I fight Howard. I look good. I fight yeah. Marvin Hagler. What, what changed in you between 82 and like the end of 83 that made you want back in? No, the, the, the Howard fight was, there was, I, there was no indication that I would fight Hagler. There was no indication. Oh, um, I mean, there was talk about it with brief, brief conversations, but never having Howard first then than uh, Marvin. Um, he was the ideal opponent to come back because he was never really in shape. Um, he didn't have that much power, <laughs> we thought. Uh, <laughs> but I got into that ring and uh, it just wasn't there. And he hit me, he hurt me. Uh, but not bad, but he hurt me. Uh, that was weird. I mean, that was one of those moments where is that Sometimes we say, God, I wish I, had, I wish I had not accepted this fight. Because the first punch he threw was like a jab, boom. And I said, man, that hurt. He hurt me. I mean, just, the it, knockdown was not, didn't bother me at all. Mm. I was okay. What, what was it then that brought you, you back? I mean, if you're retired, you've got the money. I mean, what was it that brought you back into the sport? I saw the Hagler fight. Uh, in Vegas, John Beast Mugabe. I watched that fight. I'm sitting at, you know, at, at ringside with some friends. And I said, hey, man, I can, I can beat that. Let's say, hey, Ray, okay, 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 okay. I said, give me, give me another uh, 
Baka tonic. <laughs> I was I was drinking heavily then because I I was I was really sad. I was really depressed because I you know I just didn't have it. And I call again. I call Mike Trainer, my, my 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 buddy, my business partner. I said I want to. I said Mike, I can beat Hagman. He said Ray, uh, are you drinking? I said that has nothing to do with. It. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I he said, let's, he said, Ray, just get home. We'll talk about it. I got home and I said, I can buy. He said, Ray, and I, I had, I don't know, I had so many drinks, man, that night. And, uh, but I thought, I, I saw something in him. And I, I announced, people thought I was crazy. They thought I was crazy. Everybody, everybody thought I was crazy. Rightfully so, because at that time, I was losing my stability of, trusting myself anymore from alcohol to drugs. I was out there, Chris, big time. I was really out there. Mm. So thank you, God, thank God for that fight. So you fight the Howard fight and afterwards you just say like, I don't have it anymore. Like what's your thinking said, right after? I said, I, I said, you know what? I don't have it. I'm, a, I'm going to admit the fact this is my last fight. And I, you know, and so when I said I want to fight Hagler, they said, why would you go from a, a, a kind of a, a fighter like like Kevin Howard then to a beast like Marvelous Marvin Hagler? I said, because I need, I need to be afraid. I need to be scared. And it is true. When, I'm, when you challenge me and I know what you can do, yeah, I train harder. I be more focused. Yeah. I, I think the, you know, Hagler, if I'm not mistaken, was at the Kevin Howard fight. The fight was in, in Worcester, yes, in Massachusetts. I remember somebody interviewed Hagler afterwards and, and said and passed on what you had said, like, I'm, I'm done, I'm, not, I'm retired. And Hagler just basically being, well, fuck my life. Well, that, you know, this is just another, another, another blow to me. Like, I can't, get, I can't get that damn big fight, and it's all Ray Leonard's fault. Prob probably Ray won of like 10 times in the la those next couple of years he was pissed off at you. Well, yeah, well, yeah I, I, I understood his feelings. It wasn't, it wasn't purposely. It wasn't, I didn't do that intentionally. Just, just happened, uh, and I knew I, sh I shouldn't go in the ring against uh, Hagler. Um, I knew it would be. I knew how. I knew. I didn't think people would be that 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 sincere about. He's gonna kill you. He's gonna kill. I mean, my, even my brothers. They said, "Man, you." He said, "When is your tune-up fight? Who's your, who's your tune-up fight?" I said, "Hagler." He said, "I know you're fighting Hagler, but who's your tune-up fight?" I said, "Hagler." <laughs> They didn't understand that I, because I'm a, I was afraid of losing, especially guys like the, the caliber of Tommy Hearns and Marvin Hagler. And I would have the right mindset. I trained my butt off for a year. I trained, actually trained for like a year and a half, on and off, on and off, to kind of get, to unshock the body. Because your body gets shocked when it's coming from a two or three year uh, Layoff. What what happens then, Ray? Between like eighty four and eighty seven, when you retire after Kevin Howard, and, and you know after the Howard fight, you're like, all right, I'm done. I can't do it. What triggers you to want to not only come back but to come back against the guy that after the Howard fight you felt like you couldn't fight, like you couldn't beat him? Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a weird thing. At the 
that's a very interesting question because I I cannot explain what goes through this mind of mine because when I feel I can win, not 50%, no, 100%, I feel it, I know it. And although there's opposition, and rightfully so, people have a right to speak their mind. And they thought the biggest thing, biggest obstacle I had to overcome was they say, Ray, if you get hurt in boxing, you're going to hurt boxing. So that means I'm selfish. I wasn't thinking about getting hurt. I had no intention of getting hurt. And uh, wow, man, that's when I go back there, I think about how, how, how blessed I am to have gone through all those moments and to, uh, to still be able to talk to you. No. And in between Ray, like in between your fight with Howard and uh, when you took on Hagler, I mean, Hagler was, was dominating. Like he, put Tommy Hearns down like that was the round of the year round of the decade whatever you want to call it in the first round then he just detonated uh Tommy Hearns I mean he was I mean when you watched him like when you watched him fight Hearns oh, yeah. did you I mean what what how did that make you feel how did you react to that I was there right <laughs> I was calling the so I'm sitting there uh with HBO and and I had in my head contemplated coming back it was thoughts on my mind I didn't say anything but I'm watching that fight. I said, "No freaking way! I'm I'm good. I'm okay." I said, "I'm okay. I can. I, I'm okay now." And I didn't give a second thought. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he, but like after that, I mean, are you? Does that does that make you? That makes you not want to fight him anymore? Well, it was evident. I mean, they both were just throwing bombs. Mm. It, and it was it was also another fight Durant when Durant fought Hagler, I was at ringside broadcast, and after the fight, fifteen rounds, Durant walks over to over towards me and, and says, "You box him, you beat him." He said those exact words, and I, I said, "Maybe, yeah, maybe he's right." Until but that night we hung out. So after you know a couple shots of tequila, whatever I had. I didn't, I didn't, I was talking trash. <laughs> so but it's interesting how these things come about. So what was the difference then between the Ray Leonard that fought Kevin Howard and the Ray Leonard that fought Marvin Hagler three years later? I wanted, I, I wanted to win. I mean, against Kevin Howard, I naturally, I want to win, but he was not a statue that would create, I, you know, I feed off the crowd. I feed off the audience. I feed off, the, the the ones that says he's gonna get knocked out, he's gonna get beaten so bad. I love that. I, that's what gets me going. That's what kicks in that uh, <clears throat> the, the additional uh, round. And because most people thought I would get killed, and like and right again, rightfully so. I said I'm gonna show, I'm gonna prove them wrong. So I had this attitude. Yeah, I had this attitude going to that ring. So and it worked. When you got in there with him, what did you notice right away? I mean, you can't know somebody till you get in the ring with them. What did you feel? What did you notice about how he was going to fight you right away? I'm looking at him, and I'm saying, you know what? Because look on his face. I said, you know what? He's just as nervous as I am. So all of a sudden, we're walking in the ring, and then we're walking towards each other like this. And I'm saying, okay, now, I can't walk away, and I'm not going to walk. I'm, I'm going to walk straight into him. And 
all of a sudden we just both sheared off like that together. I mean, because that's, that's just a head game. That's just a head game. Instead of, walk, instead of walking towards each other. Uh, but the bell rung, and I'm nervous. I'm extremely nervous because I don't know what I'm going to have. What I have in the gym is, a, is it's not what you need in that ring. So I get out there, and I say, pop! I hit with the – I said, this, this shit still works. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it does. I say, it still works. <laughs> and uh, and the, round, the first couple of rounds, he says, fighting like a man, you little bitch. Fighting like a man. <laughs> I said, no, 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 but take this. Pow. I remember this so vividly. Chris, I remember every single – I mean, I remember every single round. And when he hit me one time, I think it was in the – Fifth round, fourth round. He he rocked me. He didn't hurt me. He rocked me. He knocked me back. And that's when he he threw his punches. But Hagler is just heavy-handed, though. He's really heavy-handed. Just it's like a heavyweight. Mm. You'd said that the um that you know when you're losing. Hagler will, I'm sure, as you will take to his grave the fact that he won that fight. He believes he won that fight. How did you feel? after it was over, when that final bell rang, how confident were you that you had won? I, I, I felt close. I said, it's just close. It depends on how you s- score the fight. What, what I was telling my, uh, my guy, Ali Dunlap, I said, because Ali has a big, deep voice. I said, Ali, yo, 30 seconds before the bell rings, because I will shoot shot. I will throw a number of punches. So that way, that's what the judges remember last. Mm-hmm. The um that was Hagler's last fight. So yes, it, yes. It, was there talk of a rematch of doing that again? I mean, how did how, what did that conversation look like? That that was, and it it, it bothered me a little bit uh, that they were saying the opposite. They were saying where you know you didn't give him a a, re, uh, a rematch. That's not true. He didn't want a rematch. He's he just Hagler was one of the few fighters champions who can walk who walked away with. With no, no bearing, no no hatred or whatever. He just walked away from the ring. But I, yeah, I mean, he deserved the rematch, and I would have I would have given him that rematch. They never asked for it, and then they never replied. To Sorry, say that say that last part again, Ray. You say never won. I didn't. My my cell phone. My internet. Yeah. Now I was saying the fact that they said, well, Ray didn't give him re- give give Hagler a rematch. That's not true. I gave him off the rematch. I don't want the rematch. He deserved a rematch, and it's just the fact that he never, he never, he went away. He went away to I think it was was it Milan, Italy. I think he lived. He's, Hagler's a different a different cat, man. Like I, I see him, I see him every so often, rarely at Celtics games, and he just rolls in with his you know probably four thousand dollars suit on, and he sits courtside, <laughs> and he just seems he just seems content and not not at all worried about the past. Yeah, Ma, Ma, I like Mom. Mom is a good guy. He's a great champion, incredible champion, middleweight. Uh, you know, he's he gets his dues. He gets, and people are always giving him his props. He's uh, that kind of a fighter. Uh, I've never seen Hagler enter that ring not being in shape. He's always dominated. There was, um, you know, when when we were talking during the buildup for Canelo versus Kovalev, 
one of the subjects that came up a lot was your decision to jump and fight a light heavyweight for the light heavyweight championship. And I remember, you know, some of the things, a lot of things you say stick with me, but one of them was, you know, you, you were said you remember being in the ring with Lalonde and just feeling that first punch and immediately being like, oh, no, no I don't, I don't want to do this again. Like, I'm going to get through this, but I don't want to do this again. Uh, I, when I fought Lalonde, um, and they said, well, he has one. He's not a great fighter. Um, well, you know what? He's a big fighter. And uh, he hurt me. I've never been hurt so many times in 12 rounds. I mean, well, it didn't, didn't go 12 rounds. <laughs> rounds. But he hurt me. <laughs> he hit me and hurt me so bad, especially inside with those little uppercuts. I mean, Chris, he was hurting me bad. I mean, he was hurting me. I was on the brink of almost like being knocked out. I was that close. Um, but I, the knockdown, the knockdown, I was not hurt. He hit me, caught me on, kind of on the uh, temple. So my equilibrium was knocked off. But I composed myself. In fact, if you go back and watch the fight, I, I backed up to, to, towards the ropes, and he's coming, coming at me. And I, I kept going to his body. And if you, if you watch the shots to the body, those were the damaging shots that I threw upon him. Mm. And, uh, I mean, I don't know. Did you even expect that from him? Because he was a champion, but it, it wasn't like he was this, you know, celebrated champion. This was kind of a chance for you to get that title at 175 against a guy that I'm sure going in, you, you thought you were you were a pretty good favorite against. Well, what what, what it was, okay, we both were fighting for the, the uh, 168, the super middleweight title. He put, he, he was willing to put his title on the line, his belt, it's, it's 175, like heavyweight champ, um, for additional cash, which he got. Um, but he, they all thought, they all thought, rightfully so, because I mean, the guy's a big guy. His people just felt that he would just be too much for me. But, and I, cause I felt that the whole, the atmosphere, you know, the hoopla and everything else would be too much for his, for his head. He handled that well. What he did wrong was that he was trying to get me out of there. He was throwing so many punches. And I, and I, every time he did that, I was able to get close and hit him in the body. Mm. Oh, man. The, uh, I remember you saying to me that I think you said something like, as soon as that fight was over, I was vacating that 175 title. I, re I did tell you that. I relinquished that crown right same night. You know, <laughs> I had it for less than 24 hours. <laughs> I, those guys, I mean, I mean, yeah, I'm fast and all this kind of stuff, but fighting a big man, if that big man hit you, he's going to hurt you. Mm. What was the best atmosphere that you were ever a part of? The the just the the crowd, the the event. I mean, you you were part of so many. When you look back on all of them, I mean, what was the one that stands out? Wow, the the one, well, the, the Tommy Hearns, uh, the Roberto Duran. That was that was, I mean, when you in those stadiums, it's 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 night and day. Well, at Caesar's Palace, Caesar's Palace was like. One of the best. It's like Madison Square Garden. You fight Madison Square Garden, you're it. And they told me the same thing until I fought Camacho. I didn't. I mean, <laughs> the um. Did you forget that one? Yeah, I, no, I'll get to there. I'll get to there for <laughs> it in a second. The uh, you know, it's funny when I was just going back and looking at some of your fights. Like I think you said, the Caesar's Palace one, the Hearns. Um, 
like it, one of them was on a Wednesday, wasn't it? Like these were like now we're so used to Saturday fights. You were fighting like midweek sometimes. Yeah, I I I, I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't. Uh, but I'm sure I'm sure that was the case. Yes. Yeah, you're doing some midweek stuff. Um, the the end of your career, whatever, like the Norris stuff, and then fighting Camacho. Do you have any regrets looking back at it now? Would you Would you do anything differently if you could go back and do it all again? From a business perspective, uh, it was really kind of almost like hard to turn down. Um, from an overall standpoint, no. But then again, I am who I am, Chris, because of those, not just wins, but losses and the way they were lost. Uh, I hold no regrets whatsoever. You know, and as I'm saying this to you, I'm saying like, how can I not say that it was wrong to do that. No, no, I, I am who I am because of what I've been through. Mm. What was it that brought you back for Camacho? I remember, you know, you were ringside for Camacho Duran, I think, and he kind of heckled you a little bit. Um, did that have anything to do with it? No, we were free, free friends. Um, no, you know what? I just felt better in the rain. I felt safer in the rain. Uh, and at that point that you were talking to, referring to that, that, that date and that time and that, person i was going through some tough times with with my life alcohol and drugs and stuff i was in the ring i could control it outside that ring i wouldn't couldn't control it i do now because i have things to live for you know i have family an incredible family i have my foundation life 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 is what you make it i heard that a long time ago i didn't understand i didn't say life is indeed what you make it I don't want to be known for, you know, a guy who uh, lost his money, a guy who um, went to jail because of drugs and that. I didn't want my parents to see that anymore. And uh, one of my friends who's no longer with me or with us, James Anderson, who's my security guy, he said, Ray, you know, because he, he, he was the one who got me sober and made me go to fix myself. He said, Ray, forget about yourself. Think about your kids. Think about your family. And I did. It's funny. We we talked at the start of this about how, you know, if your father had been healthier and in better financial shape, maybe you wouldn't have turned pro and been a substitute teacher. Um, if, you know, if you had a more stable personal life, if you didn't get caught up in some of the things that you're talking about, the drugs and alcohol, is it possible you might never have come back from some of these retirements and just stayed retired and and enjoy your life because it sounds like what you're saying is boxing was was what you could control. Like that was that was where it was functional. And when you weren't boxing, it was not functional. But you know, and that's 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 interesting. You said that way. Uh, but it was meant to be. I was, and I worked hard, and I pray like I do. I used to, I pray all the time, and not to win, but to no one gets hurt. But I, but my life and my career, my legacy. Is was meant to be that way. You with me? It was meant to be. Absolutely. The now that it's all over, and you talked about how you're friends with Duran and 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 all these other guys. Tom, I spoke to Tommy a couple of days ago. So, so what? Tell tell me what what is your relationship like with the other th- uh, four kings? With Duran, with Hagler, with Tommy? I don't see uh, Roberto Duran that often. It's only when you know. When there's an event, something of that nature, Tommy, we we talk, we communicate, we correspond, and uh, he said, "Ray, you know, 
there's I want he said Ray you beat me and I beat you and you admitted that second fight he said we have one more fight left I said Tommy are you talking about me hitting you and you hitting me I said Tommy when was the last time you looked at your driver's license and what age you are I said Tommy no one's hit my face ever ever again except my wife what <laughs> Tommy didn't Tom what when was Tommy's last fight wasn't it like 2010 like didn't he stick around for uh, yeah. When, who did he fight? I don't even know who he I, fought. I'd have, to, I'd have to look it up, but he, he stick or stuck around longer than you, I think. He, he, he stuck around. I'm looking it up as we're recording this right now, and his last fight was, all right, 2006, he, he won against a guy named Shannon Landberg, who was 58 and 10. He fought in, in Detroit, so he stuck around for a while. Really? Well, you know, you know what? We get through it somehow, some way. And if you're healthy, God bless. And what about Hagler? Where Where are you and Hagler right now? We're still working on that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, he doesn't call me on my birthday, not do I. But I, I, I love Marvin. Marvin, he may not believe this, but I do love him. I respect him. And uh, I, I, I consider him one of the greatest uh, fighters, middleweight champions ever. Um, and I, I just hope we can get together and, and do some things. I, I tried to propose a, a tour with us, me, the four of us, um, a movie. I, I, have, I, I think about things that we can do now before we leave this earth, things that we, we can show, things that we thought about, things. I mean, there has been, I think there's a couple of documentaries out on us, but I want to do, uh, I want to do it our way. Mm-hmm. Oh, you- Let the fans hear, you know, what I, what was I feeling? What was Hagler feeling? What was Tommy feeling? What, why did Roberto Duran, you know, what was his feelings? You with me? The, the both of the four of us together now. I mean, because normally the these great fighters, legend, they pass away before they're recognized or acknowledged. If you look, it, 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 and I, I say that because we have joked about that in the past, like how you. You know, Hearns is on board. Uh, Duran's on board. Hagler, not so much. Hagler, you can't. Still, still not picking up that phone call when he sees Leonard on the caller ID to to get there. <laughs> just, yeah, I'm gonna use your phone next time. Okay, <laughs> just use my. It'll be a burner phone to call to call Marvin Hagler. But you could. I mean, if you guys ever got together, you could like sell out a, an arena just to hear you guys talk. Like I'd moderate that for free. Like that would be. Oh. I mean, how much fun would that be? Just the four of you guys talking about the 1980s and fights. You could do three hours and everybody would still want more on that. I agree with you completely. Well, Chris, the proposal is sent to you now. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to call. Maybe, look, Ray, I'm, I'm, from, I'm from Boston. Maybe Marvin will pick up you know, my 617 area code. <laughs> you know? He grew up right down the street from me. So, I mean, it's... it's this, did he really? He did, did in, he really? in a, a few towns over. Oh. Wow. You did. Wow. So I'll see if I can broker that for a percentage of the gate. I'll, I'll broker that for a view. <laughs> um, two, two quick, like current questions for you. You mentioned your, a couple of times, Mike trainer, your, your lawyer and advisor, you did something that very few fighters today choose to do. You went out your own way. You didn't tie yourself to a major promoter that often. Um, you, you had your guy and you had him make fights um, why did you choose to do that? And why did you feel like that was good for you? 
No, it was Mike Trainer who said that. He said, Ray, you know, um, how much do you, he said, how much do you believe that you can become world champion? I said, 100%. He said, so that being said, you can promote yourself. You could, you could be an independent contractor. I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a kid from the streets. And, um, but everything I have, everything I've captured with endorsements and things of that nature is Mike Trainer and also Jenks Morton, who was my mentor, who I had just had good people around me. I mean, my publicist, Charlie Broadman. I mean, I, I can go on and on and on. Karen Kender, uh, used to call them secretaries back then. But I had, you know what, Chris? I also, again, I keep saying I, I was blessed. I had good people around me, solid people, you know, and life, life, and life, life is a challenge for all of us. It, and, uh, I, you know, I just tell, I just tell people, man, just never give up. Just don't give up. Mm-hmm. No, it, have the right people with you. there's so few fighters, Ray, that, that do it that way. I mean, I, like recently Miguel Cotto kind of did, you know, once he split from top rank, he was his own man. He bounced back and forth between promoters. He signed short deals, um, and he got big fights. Didn't win them all, but he got right. big fights, and that really defined his legacy. I mean, you did it at a high level. Miguel did it at a high level. I, I just wonder what why boxers don't take that route uh, more often. It's not just that easy, unfortunately. Uh, you you got to have a, a, a name. He has to be a if you think about it, my platform was the Olympics. I mean, and TV and things. I was on television, network television, free television, constantly. So I I, I had marketability, you know, because of all that stuff. Um, but you know what? I'm so happy for so many of the young fighters who are showing their talent, who are fighting, and they, you know, they say I'm the best, and I say if you're, you're the best, you got to fight the best, and they're starting to do that now. Um, boxing, say boxing's dead. Boxing's not dead. And boxing will always be around. I just wish all those young fighters, incredible young fighters, who are so talented, the best of luck. And keep your humility. Because you, lo- you can lose it. It's so easy to lose. You know, I lost mine for a while. But, um, and give back. Reciprocate. Help other people. Or, or other causes. Well, I remember uh, what was it? Errol Spence said he sent you a copy of his, his or something. Sent him like a DVD of his uh, his fights, or and sent it to your office. And he said he never heard back from you. Oh, do you remember that? He said that a while. And I think you said afterwards, like I didn't get it. Like I didn't. I, I, resp- I responded to him. Mm. I mean that I didn't get that. Uh, all right, Errol. Work. Send it to me again. Send it to me again. All right. Now I'm on camera now. Right? <laughs> yes. You're on camera. You'll now work with Earl. Have you ever wanted to be a trainer? I don't have the mentality to be a trainer. I can show you what it takes to win strategy, tactics, and that kind of thing. I, I, I think it takes a special person to be a trainer, to be a good trainer, to be a great trainer. It takes a special person. Yeah, we I don't. Just, I don't have it. You know, because if you don't, I. If you don't give me 100%, um, I lose interest. Especially with you, especially if you have talent. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, that's you know, we were talking about this recently 
because Floyd Mayweather says he wants to be a trainer. And I have my doubts that, you know, because fighters on his level, on your level, you just don't see them become, you know, the great trainers in part probably because of what you said there. Like, if you're not going to give it what I gave it, I don't have the patience for you. And I'm sure in part, like, it's just hard to show something that you're just so great at. Like, if somebody, if you show somebody something, you, you, I bet you almost want them to be able to do it. It must be frustrating that they can't. Yeah, you know, with Mayweather, Mayweather, incredible champion. Um, and it's natural. It's just, it's a, it's, you're born with it. You can't, you can't give someone speed. Accuracy, I don't know. But speed, no, speed is a natural thing. Even, even the power, the power of Mike Tyson, you can't, you can't show a person, show a fighter how to, how to have power like Mike Tyson. Mike was born that way. He's born with power. You can show how to gain more leverage, yeah, but not that crazy power, not that knockout power like Tommy Hearns or Bill Duran, yeah. Is there any, anyone that you wish you had fought during your career? We asked you about regrets, and you said you don't have any, but the, the you know, just whatever, a fight that didn't, that you wished happened and that didn't happen. Um, no, I mean, I, I answered it quickly because I, there is nothing. I mean, I'm, I'm totally satisfied. Um, you know, I was in an era where that we had the Tommy Hearns and Durand, uh, Wolf Benitez, and he, who doesn't get the credit he deserves, I guess because he didn't beat any of us. But Wolf Benitez was an amazing champion. Um, but no, no. And you mentioned the platform that you had. That 76 Olympic team, that was stacked. Like, people in oh. this generation think of Olympic boxing as, well, you know, it's, it's no stars come from it. Maybe you get Shakur Stevenson every so often. But that 76 team, man, you guys were good. That, that was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, moments in my life, experiences in my life, uh, being behind that, 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 those majestic doors and gates. Uh, we were, oh my God, it just, I remember that so well, and um, it meant so much to me, and thank God my parents were alive, and they, they sat there and watched me win the gold medal in Montreal, 1976, that's a, that's a long time. How many years is that? Oh God, we're, we're dating both of ourselves now, Ray, <laughs> like 40 years ago at this point, <laughs> 40, say, years? 40 plus, 40 plus years. You know, they say time, time is fleeting. Time is fast. goes by fast. I never thought about that until I hit 50. Now it goes by even faster. <laughs> but I, I, I love it. I love it. I, and I accept it. Were you guys close on that 76 team? We were. You know, they, they God, I mean, that, that had the biggest impact on me. Being behind those majestic gates, being with my friends, um, fighting the best guys in the world, in the world, and uh, competing on a stage that the world sees. And that's where it all began. That's where it all started. And I, I remember being uh, on the podium and they put the, uh, my gold medal around my neck. And I'm saying, this is it. This is it. Oh, man, no more. No more boxing. I remember feeling so happy, but feeling so sad that my career was going to end. 
It was wild. It was really wild. And, and the fact that I still remember that, it, it comes to my mind every now and then, especially when they talk about the Olympics. I'm like, oh, my God. Mm, it's kind of sad what happened to the U.S. boxing program. I mean, yeah. you know, that, that really was, you know, from you to all the way up to Oscar De La Hoya, like it really was a star-making, a star-making oh. platform. Oh, without question. I mean, it was, it was, that was the stage that you want to be on, um, especially you know, when back in the day, it was fighting in the Olympics on network television. Wow. I mean, what? It was a perfect uh, stage. Hmm. So you and it'll be you and Tommy Hearns, May 2021. We can have the WBC create a fake title, you know, the, the senior citizens title uh, of the world. You're in? You're ready to go? Chris, you said fake title. All right. Want a real title? I don't know. <laughs> well, no, um, I told I said, Tommy, I said, Tommy, you're not going to hit me. I said, Tommy, uh, all body shots. <laughs> he said, okay, all body shots. Uh, you want to you promote this? I, I want in. I, I'm ready. And you can you can bring Marvin and Marvin takes on the winner and you can just have like a round robin for a couple of years. You know, you're oh, okay. Uh, I, you know, it sounds more even it sounds even more interesting now. <laughs> more intriguing now. It's just the way you say it. I'm a salesman, Ram. I'm trying to I'm just trying to get this fight off the ground. Get uh, Hearns <laughs> Hearns versus Leonard three, the rubber so match. Can we, can we use some of your your uh contacts? Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'll call Marvin right now to get him. You know, he and I are, are close. We're we're best friends. So, Chris, Chris, you're on camera. I, well, I can lie on camera. It's okay. I do it for a living. I do it for a living. <laughs> hey, Ray, it's really been a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to catch up with you. It's great working with you. Great being around you. Uh, I'm glad to see you're doing so well and uh, stay healthy out there, man. I know. Uh, I know you're probably gonna go for like a lap swim in one of your three pools, but um, you know, maybe you can invite me over when this settles down. Four pools, four pools. Okay, sorry. Did I get it wrong? <laughs> thanks, thanks, Chris. Love you, baby. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts more Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. 
to the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.